0: Alright, so we're in, uh, I almost said 1 Corinthians, Romans chapter 14, I'm going to start reading in verse 13, that's where we're going to pick it up, Uh, just to kind of give you a reminder that Paul has been dealing with what people used to call doubtful things, and it's it's not the best word to use, but when I was in my 20s, a bunch of books I read on dealing with uh, Romans 14, that's what they called it, but the idea is that things that may or may not be sinful... In other words, it depends uh, on a lot of things. It has to do with your conscience. And it has to do with your the way you were raised. So obviously, he's not talking about theft and adultery and all of that. It comes in the category of whether or not someone should eat pork, whether or not somebody should uh, eat meat, sacrifice to idols. Was that a sin or not a sin? That kind of thing. Um, and so uh, that's kind of what he's dealing with. Part of, that, part of the reason for that is because in the early church, you had... Um, Individuals who were raised in very strong Jewish homes, which would be most of those individuals, who were raised under the Mosaic law, and then they become Christians, and they are no longer—it's uh, no longer necessary for them to follow the, the law of Moses, which had a lot of dietary laws, and some of them could do so without a, a twinge in their conscience, and others just—they just, just could bring themselves to do it. And so Paul was basically saying that it's, in either case, it's okay. Uh, Whatever you do, you do to the Lord. And talk about how we are to treat each other, the attitudes that we are to have towards each other. So that's the kind of thing that he's dealing with. So verse 13 then. He says, therefore, let us no longer criticize one another. Instead, decide never to put a stumbling block or pitfall in your brother's way. I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself still to someone who considers a thing to be unclean to that one it is unclean for if your brother is hurt by what you eat you are no longer walking according to love do not destroy that one that that one christ died for by what you eat therefore do not let your good be slandered for the kingdom of god is not eating and drinking but righteousness peace and joy in the holy spirit whoever serves christ in this way is acceptable to god and approved by men. So even though we covered a lot of this uh, as we went through the other part a couple weeks ago, let's go ahead and go back through what he is telling them because he's kind of summarizing and applying it to them. So first of all, verse 13, therefore let us no longer criticize one another. So the bottom line is that if, when it comes to things that um, is an either-or situation, it would be incorrect for us to judge or criticize that individual for what they are doing and what they're not doing. Um, so let's say that uh, let, we use the example of an individual who is raised as a Muslim. Uh, they never eat pork. That individual becomes a believer. They still, it bothers them to eat pork because they think that they're um, disobeying God, even though they know that was a part of the Muslim faith and that the Bible says you don't have to, that you can't eat pork. They still, it bothers them. So what he's saying is, look, don't criticize them. Don't, don't, don't say, well, he's just weak in the faith. Don't do that. Just let it go. Accept them. Um, and, then, and then if he, uh, as he matures as a believer, even though he may never get to a point where he can eat pork, he then should not criticize those who do. Kind of, it goes both ways. You know? you don't, it's one of those things that an individual has the right uh, to decide uh, when it comes to those things. Uh, in our in our culture because you know the American culture is so vast and um, we don't have a lot of those kinds of things there are still plenty of things I guess that individuals can um, uh, get all uptight about so I remember back now I've read about this uh, but I know back in the 50s and the 60s and maybe some in the 70s you know there there were some churches where they were they were, you know, they were, they were telling people that if you would go to the movies, it was a sin. Didn't matter what the movie was. If it was a Disney movie or whatever, it was sinful. Christians don't go to movie theaters. All right? Uh, when Spurgeon, uh, was alive, which was back in the 1800s, they said that Christians don't go to, it was I, I don't think they called it the theater, maybe they did, you know, where they put plays on and stuff, I guess it's called the theater. Christians don't do that. Uh, Christians don't go to musicals. Christians, I mean, you know, there's just all you always have have that. And so, basically, if you don't think you should, then don't go. And if you're free to go, then go. That's it. You know, don't worry about it. Uh, Now, when it gets down to what you're watching, that's usually pretty easy to decide. Um, uh, There's some pretty clear guidelines when it comes to that, but that's kind of the idea um, that he's getting at there. So he tells us then that instead of criticizing, instead, he always goes back to you, the individual, Instead, decide never to put a stumbling block or a pitfall in your brother's way. So again, remember, we need to make sure we, we recognize what Paul is doing here. And I think this is important. Because many individuals have tried, or maybe they just plain have, they've used these areas that are doubtful, questionable, whatever you want to call it, as a way to manipulate and control other Christians. And it's, it's wrong to do that. Um, and so what they have done, you hear many people say this, that we need to make sure we never do anything that will cause another Christian to sin. Now, by itself, that's true. We shouldn't do that. But that's not what he's talking about here, right? In other words, some have said, well, you know, if you know they, sh- they can't eat pork, and you eat pork, and they eat pork because you're eating pork, you're making them sin, that's that's you're violating. That's not what they're talking about. The word stumbling here is important. So the best way to remember this is, You don't want to do anything that's going to cause someone to stumble in their faith. All right, that's the main thing. So, let's say, just for the sake of argument, let's say that Rachel is a brand new believer who was raised in a Muslim home. So, because she's a new believer, and when I invite her to my house for dinner, I'm not going to eat pork. I'm just not going to go there. There's no reason for me to go there. Right? Now, we can still talk about it if it comes up, but the point is, I'm not going to press that point, and I'm not going to try to flaunt that I you know just, There's no reason to go there. Now, let's just say on the other hand, she, same situation, She's raised in a Muslim home, she's become a Christian, but let's say she's been a believer for 10 years. She still doesn't eat pork. I invite her for, for, I invite her for dinner, and I decide to serve beef and ham. I, I wouldn't have a problem with that. If she's been a believer 10 years, even if she still doesn't eat pork, I, you know, if she's thinking that I'm sinning after ten years of walking with the Lord, there's a maturity issue there. So the idea is, is she's, I, I doubt she's going to stumble in her faith after walking with the Lord for ten years if I eat pork. But if she's been a believer for ten weeks, she might stumble in her faith, begin to wonder about the gospel because she just she's not ready to handle what it, what I'm doing. So that's how I'm supposed to be thinking as a believer. We want to make sure that um, uh, we're not causing individuals to stumble in their faith. So that's why it's important for us to kind of know each other. And if you're, and if you're unsure about where someone is, especially if they're a new believer, you um, just want to tread carefully, so to speak. Um, but it's also not the idea where I would then, as the pastor, tell everyone in the church, look, because of X, Y, and Z, you better not eat pork. That, that, I, I'm not, I shouldn't make that as a rule for the congregation. Um, now, but once again, there's, there may be a scenario where let's say that um, through the course of several years, let's say that our neighborhood around us changes and there's more Muslims moving in. I might suggest to the congregation that because we're concerned about their soul, we're not going to serve pork anymore when we have our dinners because we want to invite them to church. And if we have a meal, they they may not know what to do if all of a sudden there's some bacon in front of them or whatever. And so we're just asking everyone, you know, it's a minor, it's a small sacrifice. If you really want to eat pork, you can still go home and do it, all right. But we're just saying while well, we're here um, because of who we might be invited. So it's not a change. So the so the. Um, the morality or the ethic of the situation isn't changing. We're still going by the same uh, foundational law, which is what? A love for others. Considering their situation, and we're making a decision based on that. that and that's what we're doing. And that's, that's the idea. Uh, he's primarily primarily here dealing with believers and other believers. But that's kind of how that situation is going to kind of fill itself out for us when it comes to the way that we think and the way that we approach life. So that's what he's getting at here. All right, so we want to make sure that we decide that, we're never going to, that we are never going to put a stomach block or a pitfall in our brother's way. Then he emphasizes in verse 14, I know and I am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. All right, so that's the basic principle. So there is nothing, there is no food, basically you can ingest, That would defile you. Remember that when he talks about defiling here, it's a very important word in the Bible. Uh, Defile, being defiled always deals with an individual being put in a position where they're unable to worship the Lord. That's primarily from the Old Testament. There's an idea that's carried over in the New Testament. In other words, we don't want to defile ourselves before the Lord because we know that basically, in general, if you and I sin, that puts, that, that puts an obstacle in the relationship with me and the Lord. I'm not losing my salvation, but, you know, there's some tension there because I'm living in disobedience. So in a sense, we might say that I'm defiled. It's a little different than how it was in the Old Testament. Because in the Old Testament, the way you were defiled is, for example, let's say you, you touch a dead body. So you're considered unclean for so many days. And then you make a sacrifice and all these different kinds of things happen. Um, So there are several laws in the law of Moses about being defiled, not doing certain things um, so that you don't put yourself in a position where you're unable to worship the Lord. Uh, You and I are always able to worship the Lord as Christians because all of our sins have been forgiven and and the Spirit of God lives within us. But when it comes to our behavior, you know, we do have warnings because God wants us to pursue holiness. But he's using the strong language here, Uh, To make sure we understand, though, that when it comes to the things that we do externally, you're not going to do something or you're not going to eat something that's going to suddenly make you unclean and now you can't worship God. It's just not going to happen. There's nothing out there that does that. So whether I'm a new believer or an old believer, I just can't get caught up in this thing about why I can't eat certain food or whatever. He's just telling me dogmatically, look, it's not eat pork, eat pork. You know, it's, it's no longer unclean. Remember, this is where some people get messed up. They get messed up because of words. So when it comes to the Old Testament laws, there was an injunction in there about, again, not eating pork. And so some have assumed that the reason why God told Israel not to eat pork was because it's unhealthy. But that's not what it says. There's not one hint in the Bible that pork was unhealthy. It says unclean. It's a religious term. The law of Moses that God gave to Israel not only guided them morally and ethically, but was also instituted, there were certain laws that were instituted so that they would be uniquely different from those around them, the other other, um, peoples around them. So that if someone was to ask them, why do you not eat swine? They would say, because God has said. But they would not say, well, God said it's unhealthy. Because then the other guy would say, well, I eat a pig every day. I don't, I'm not sick. You know, so, but that's not why. It was, it was an unclean animal. And there were several animals that were considered to be unclean. So again, it was, and of course it was to emphasize to the Jews, um, holiness and cleanliness. In other words, the animal was unclean because of the way they ate, what they ate, that kind of thing. Uh, and there was just this big physical uh, picture for them as to what God demands uh, for us to approach Him, which is this perfection, and part of the reason that God gave that was to reveal to us that this standard of perfection that God has, nobody can nobody can reach that. It is an impossibility. There's not a select few of individuals, and only those few can get close to God. And for the rest of us, too bad. It was to show us then God's graciousness and mercy that He never lowered His standard. But Christ met that need so that we talk about the fact that as believers, not only am I forgiven for all of my sin, but I'm now dressed in the righteousness of Christ. And so I'm able to approach God, not because I don't eat meat or because I do eat meat. I'm able to approach God because of Christ. And so that it's always coming back to that. So he just just wants them to know then um, when it comes to this, that there's, there, there's, there's no food thing that's going to put you in a position where you are unable to worship God or where you are somehow spiritually defiled or out of sorts with God. He says that's, just, that's, not, the, that's not the case. But then he, uh, but he stops there and says, still, to someone who considers the thing to be unclean, to him it is unclean. And it goes back to what I told you before about, for example, a Muslim who becomes a believer, right? Right? they may consider pork to still be unclean. They just can't get over that. And so as long as in their mind, even though they may know what the Bible says, you know how sometimes you can know something, but we we might say emotionally they just can't get over it for whatever the reason, all right? So So you know that it's not a sin, but it's almost like your conscience won't let you. Then what he's saying is, yeah, if your conscience is still there, then that would be wrong for you to do. It would be kind of like this. When I was, uh, when I was a kid, um, I used to drench my pancakes in uh, syrup, maple syrup, just enormous amounts of syrup. Um, of course, that, there would also be an excuse that I needed more pancakes because there's still syrup on my plate. But anyway, so there was one particular morning where I was kind of sick because kind of had the flu. But being a young kid, I didn't care they're making pancakes, I'm gonna eat. So I ate an enormous amount of pancakes, an enormous amount of maple syrup again, and I got sick and I threw up the rest of the morning because I was already sick. Well, this happens to a lot of people. Whenever you eat something when you're sick, and then you throw up, you remember there's, there's an association between that taste and what you did, and you're no longer able to eat that thing again. And from that day on, the thought of maple syrup Ah, I'm just not interested. Now, I know intellectually that the maple syrup did not make me sick. It did not make me sick. I was already sick. That was the deal. It doesn't matter. All right? I guess you call it a mild form of PTSD, all right? So that I don't so to this day, you know, if I eat pancakes, if I want something sweet on it, I use strawberry jam. You know, that's what I put on it. But I, maple syrup, yeah, does not go in there. All right? I don't want anything I don't want anything with maple syrup on it. Um, and so, 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 that's, so the idea then is we can see how that goes. You can know something is not going to make you sick, yet you just can't get over whatever it is to get yourself to eat that because of what it reminds you of. So same idea uh, when it comes to violating your conscience and that kind of thing. And maybe the more multicultural a church is, um, you'll come across that some more than maybe we would. Uh, it's just how it goes, but that's the attitude that we are to have and so the, and there are churches in other countries that they really do have to deal with this I mean, they, they really they have to help each other mature to accept each other because there are such vast differences um, in the um, in the cultures that it takes some individuals maybe years uh, at, of growth as a believer to get maybe over certain things and they may never get over certain things uh, It can also come down to behaviors you know, you know there may be certain activities or certain things that we just that we think nothing of and the individual just will believe that it's it's wrong that not even be morally wrong for them to do certain things and so as a result they won't do that and there needs to be this acceptance um, of each other when it comes to that, and not judging each other spiritually uh, when it comes to this that's what Paul is concerned about so again so if your brother is hurt or you could read it this way If your brother's faith is hurt by what you eat, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy the one Christ died for by what you eat. So once again, even though I know I have a right to eat whatever I want, if I'm around someone who's a new believer, I'm not going to just say I don't care and eat what I want anyway. That would be the wrong attitude for, for me to do. And that's what he's saying. He says, that's what, so he says, therefore, do not let your good be slandered. All right? The idea there is that that individual is, may speak, think and speak ill of me because I'm doing what they think is wrong. All right? So I just, there's no reason for me to go there. Some people might get proud and say, well, I'm not going to let other people control my life. Well, I understand that. But you're not allowing anyone to control your life except for God. You're deciding to follow a principle that God's laid out. And the principle is... If this truly bothers them, right? It truly affects their faith, then don't do it. Right now, if that person's running around and saying, don't you eat pork because you're going to offend me. <laughs> I'll be honest, sometimes I might just go ahead and get a piece of bacon and say, "What that? <laughs> All right, and they're trying to manipulate the situation. All right? and, and there's no reason for us to let that happen. But again, what we want, what we want to be driven by is the principle that God gives us and we're looking out for that individual and their spiritual well-being. So again, don't let your good be slandered for the kingdom of heaven, not eating or drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy. So again, a reminder of the idea of what we are to pursue is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So whoever serves Christ in this way is acceptable to God and approved by men. So if you live that, if you live that way, Christ is pleased with that. So verse 19, so then we must pursue what promotes peace and what builds up one another do not tear down god's work because of food everything is clean but it is wrong for a man to cause stumbling by what he eats it is a noble thing not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that makes your brother stumble do you have conviction keep it to your keep it to yourself before god the man who does not condemn himself by what he approves is blessed. But whoever doubts stands condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from a conviction, and everything that is not from a conviction is sin. So, the, so another principle that we are to live by is that we are to pursue in our behavior, in our life, we are to pursue those things that promote peace, And those things that build each other up. That means build each other up spiritually. That's what guides us. So my love for them, is we could say it this way, should be my love for their soul. Uh, And I want to make sure I live my life in such a way that I am pursuing peace and I'm doing those things that's going to promote their growth in the Lord and not hinder it. That's just what I'm going to do. No matter what that is. So if I end up going to another country and living there, I want to learn as best I can, the customs of, of, of the people in that land. I need to be careful to make sure that I'm not maybe promoting maybe their religion by following certain things. Because, you know, not, not everything is influenced by religion. Some things are, but they may not be directly related to worship. So that's where wisdom comes in. You have to learn. You know, you don't want to offend them and, you know, that kind of thing. So again, if I'm If I'm going to live in a country and live in a Muslim neighborhood, I'm just, I've already decided, I'm just not going to eat pork. There's no reason to go there. If I eat pork, they'll never get over that. They'll never hear a word I have to say. This is not going to happen. So I give that up. That's it. For both the believers and the non-believers. And of course, there may be other things, depending on what's going on. Uh, That's that's how I'm going to live, and that's what I'm going to do. All right? Because that's my concern. Then he emphasizes again... Everything is clean. But again, you don't want to cause someone to stumble in their faith by what you eat. So it's noble. In other words, God is watching. It's noble not to eat meat. Uh, remember, if you, if you ever come across that, you kind of re- wonder, what does it mean? Because he doesn't say pork. He says don't eat meat. That goes back to the issue of eating meat that was offered to idols. Uh, I gave you the illustration that you could go to the, you know, the, everything was in the marketplace. Uh, you know, you didn't buy meat for uh, a month at a time, there was no refrigeration. You, you, might, you might buy meat every day. And so uh, if it's expensive, you knew that there was meat being sold at cheaper prices out the back door of the various pagan temples. And so there were those who thought, wow, that's a great deal. I'm gonna buy my hamburger meat from, you know, the priest over at the Temple of Venus. And there's other people saying, well, I can't do that because I'm promoting that religion. Well, you're not. You want to buy that meat? Fine. If you can't declare conscience, then don't do it. And that's what he means when he says, uh, you know, to not eat meat. You know, don't promote this idea that you're eating meat that's been offered to idols and that kind of thing. So again, he comes back to you and I having convictions. That means being clearly convinced. You are conv- all right. So, so it's not just. So again, we we'll use the pork thing as an illustration. So you may know intellectually that you are allowed to eat pork, but you can't do it. All right, so whatever, for whatever the reason, then you're not convinced, okay? But so if you're convinced that you can, then go ahead. The idea is that you live your life based on what you're convinced about. So what you don't want to do is, you don't want to take something, whatever it is, it doesn't matter what it is, whatever it is, if you have questions about it, don't say to yourself, well, I know Bob eats it, so it must be okay. Because you might still violate your conscience. You may still feel guilty for doing it. That's not a reason. Okay? You want to become fully convinced in your mind that it's okay with God. Alright? That's just, that's how we are to, to live. So, if you are really perplexed by that, then you need to look at what the Word of God says. Maybe study it. It's okay to ask it to be what they think and pray about it and... You know, if you can get over it, then fine. If not, then just stay away and uh, live your life um, and don't get all caught up in it. All right. The idea here is that you don't want to condemn yourself by eating or not eating something because you, you don't think it's approved by God. Um, and that's the idea that he's getting at. And that's maybe where we get the word doubtful things. But whoever doubts stands condemned if he eats. Uh, so you may tell yourself, Bob eats it, so it must be Okay you can still go ahead and eat bacon and still have doubts. And so you got a problem. But I think the main takeaway from all of this, because even though most of the time none of us are gonna really get caught up in this whole thing about doing things or not doing things that that cause a problem for others, is you wanna make sure you're living your life in a way that you're always trying to promote peace and do what's best to ensure others are growing in Christ. That's what you do. You do that, you're fine. Verse uh, 1 of chapter 15. Now, we who are strong have an obligation to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not to please ourselves. So when he speaks of those who are strong, that means those who are strong in the faith. That would mean those who are mature in the faith. Okay, That's the idea there. Um, That doesn't mean one person has a lot of faith and someone only has a little bit of faith. That's That's not the comparison. It has to do with maturity and wisdom. So, and the one with who's weak, normally is a new believer. They're weak in the faith. Their faith may be unstable because they don't know enough yet. They never walked with the Lord yet. So it's not a put down. He's not putting them down for that. That's just, that's a fact of life. Now, if someone is weak in the faith and they've been a believer for 10 years, there's a problem somewhere. You know, the goal is always to help people become strong in the faith. Again, i I'm not trying to get I'm not trying to help Rachel get strong so she can have bacon. Alright? The goal is just for her to grow strong in her faith. Period. Okay? That's, that's the idea uh, with this. So those of us who are strong, for those, so those of you who've known the Lord for a longer period of time, all of us have an obligation to those who are weaker. And the word he uses is to bear the weaknesses. Alright? So that means I put up with the restrictions that they're living by because they can't have. I'm doing it voluntarily because they're, they're not mature yet. So that's what we do. Um, real simple. Um, that's just how it's going to be. Uh, and I have an obligation. It's an obligation that God, that God himself places on me. And he compares it with, because he, when he gives the opposite, those who are strong have an obligation to bear the weakness of those who are without strength. So what's the opposite of that? Just living the, your life to please yourself, right? So it's not. Well, I'm just not going to, to do that. He's telling you what the root of that, the root of your refusal to put up with them or put up with their weaknesses is because you're living to please yourself. That goes out the window. Um, it doesn't mean you know. I guess I guess a guiding principle we can use is what's given to us in Philippians. In Philippians, he says. Uh, don't look out only for your own interest, but look out for the interest of others. So there's nothing wrong with you looking out for your own interest. But that's not to have such a priority that you're shutting other people out. We are to to consider them. We are to think about them uh, as we live our life and make our decisions. And so that's the idea here, is uh, I'm not living for myself, uh, and technically I'm not really living for others. I'm actually living for God. And as I live for God, this is, this is the, uh, the order of things. This is how he wants me to live. This is how he wants me to think about other people. So I'm not living this way so other people think well of me. Right? I'm not living this way so they will like me. I'm doing this because it honors the Lord, and it's beneficial for them. Paul lived that way. He tells us to imitate him. Uh, Christ lived that way. We are to imitate him. And this is what he's telling us here. Verse 2. Each one of us must please his neighbor for his good to build him up. So it's not just pleasing your neighbor, period. It is pleasing your neighbor for their good. And, and the uh, context of all of this would be for their spiritual good. Okay, It's not eliminating their, their physical good, but the idea here is for their spiritual good. That's, that's how I'm living. I want to do things for their good, to build them up. And then he says, for even the Messiah, or even Jesus, did not please himself. On the contrary, as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. So the idea there is that Jesus so identified with us, there are those who insulted him. We so, we so identify with Christ that those who insulted Christ are going to insult us. Just realize that's going to happen. It's going to happen to you. And, and we accept that. Um, it is amazing how many people, and maybe it's a lot of us, at least at one time, even though we're not, we're not what people call a people pleaser, it does matter to us what people think about us. I mean, it matters to me what people think. I, don't, I want people to like me, but I'm not, I don't live by that. We're not driven by that. And sometimes because... I don't know if you want to say we're shy or we don't want to bring attention to ourselves. You know, there's all kinds of excuses we can use. You know, we might kind of shy away from certain things. So here he just simply tells us that, you know, I live this way. This is a fact of life. There are going to be those who are uh, going to not approve or maybe insult us because of how we live or this decisions we make. Just, you just have to do it because we're doing it to please the Lord. So, again, we come back to that conviction. I'm doing this because it's the right thing, period. Um, kind of like, uh, I guess you'd say, if you were going to illustrate it, you know, you may have seen a movie. You know, there are certain themes or plots of movies that are used all the time. So, uh, let's say that there's a movie about some kid. It's a high school setting. And, uh, you know, in, as it is, as it is as it's true in many schools, there's some kid who's being picked on by a couple of the athletes you know because they think it's funny and they always knock the kids books out of his hands or whatever and then some other guy comes over and says don't do that and they help them out so when they help them out other kids are kind of like laughing at him or they're going to talk about it and he just ignores it it's usually the kid you can always tell who that kid is because in the movies they have to portray him as someone who's what he's more mature than the others and he doesn't get caught up in that that's the idea it doesn't matter what people think about I'm just going to do this. It's the right thing. Um, and so we want to make sure that, that, that is, uh, that's where we are. I remember one time there was a guy, he used to come to church here. He was, uh, he was handicapped a little bit uh, mentally. And um, I, was, I had just become the pastor. I had only been pastor here for a few months. And I knew him. I didn't know him well, but I knew him. His name was John. And uh, I was in Kroger. And he was on the other side of the store. Completely on the other side of the store. And he saw me. And he wanted to let me know that he was there. Pastor Bob! And he's waving like this, you know. One of those things that can be really embarrassing. <laughs> you know, like, it's not a whole lot of guys called Pastor Bob. So I knew he was talking to me. And, of course, this, his name was John. And I said, hey, John. And, of course, everybody's staring. <laughs> I just want to say hello, you know, kind of a thing. And it was, it was you know, that's John. I would do that. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that was John. And whenever he saw me, he was going to yell. Uh, even if he wasn't all the way across the, the store. But... Uh, the idea was, is it would have been wrong for me to ignore him or tell him to shut up. I mean, you know, cause people have done that. I've seen people do that kind of thing to people because they get embarrassed. Just don't worry about it, all right? So you can live as a Christian. We are living for the Lord, seeking to do what is best for others, and that's it. Again, verse uh, 4. For whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction. So that we may have hope through endurance and through the encouragement from the scriptures. Now may the God who gives endurance and encouragement allow you to live in harmony with one another. According to the command of Christ Jesus. So that you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ with a united mind and voice. So this is what Paul is getting to. He tells us that, uh, remember that when he writes this, there's the believers only have the Old Testament. He's telling them that all that is in the Bible, basically, was written for their instruction. And the reason why God was instructing them was so that they would have hope through endurance. In other words, endurance means you put up with what's going on. You don't lose heart. You want to be encouraged from the scripture. And the idea is that God is going to give us endurance. That's part of God's grace is is endurance and then encouragement. And the reason why God is going to give us encouragement and this endurance is so that we can live in harmony with each other. He's telling us all this because it doesn't come naturally. We all know that there are certain people we get along with naturally. But we, we don't get along with everyone naturally. There are certain people that, for whatever reason, either we rub them the wrong way or they rub us the wrong way. We're just for what it doesn't, It's just how it is. We're human beings. And we're marred by sin. But the bottom line is, is that we need to pursue peace and righteousness. And here, he tells us that we need to live with one another in harmony. That's what he tells us to, live in harmony. So then when others say, how is it? Or everyone sitting here seems to get along. You're telling them, well, the reason for that is because we love Christ. I mean, we do love each other. But again, when you have a diverse group of people, it's not just diverse. Does not just mean because we have different ethnicities, we have diversity in all kinds of things. Diversity in our personalities, in our likes, our dislikes, and all kinds of things. The bottom line is, is that there's to be a harmony, all right? Meaning we get along. It doesn't mean we agree on everything, all right? It's not. It's not talk about agreeing on everything, all right? We're going to disagree on a bunch of things, and that's okay, all right? But there's a harmony there. There's a peace there. Um, That we're able to uh, maintain and that's because of what God is doing for us and he tells us here that it's according to what the command of Christ so this is not just some kind of strong suggestion it's a command and the reason why we need to live in harmony is because it glorifies God and then he reminds him at the end that you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ with a what united mind and voice so we are, we are thinking the same and speaking the same. So what are we thinking the same? What we're thinking the same is we seek to follow the Lord and put each other first. That's the, that's the mind. That's what he's been talking about. That's how we live. Um, we have a united voice. So, so let's say someone's trying to cause dissension. Right? When everyone tries to cause it, there's a lot of ways to do that. But one of the ways that people do that is, is they come up to you and, and they just start kind of hinting in a negative way about someone else's behavior. Say, so, yeah, you know, I was talking to Lance. But, you know, Lance, Lance, is, Lance is different. You know, they're fishing. What are they fishing for? You know, when the person does that, normally, they're fishing for me to say, well, yeah, I mean, you know, I, that's, that's Lance. Yeah, but man, sometimes, man, Lance is just, you know, he just, just gets to my nerves. Now, why is that person doing that? All right, well, they're doing that because they're, they're you know, they, they may not be thinking, I'm trying to cause dissension. But that's what they're doing, for whatever the reason. Maybe they, maybe, they, maybe they want me, for whatever reason, to like them more than I like Lance. Who knows what they're doing? All right, but they're fishing. They want to pull me in. All right? So what I can do is say, yeah, well, Lance is different. We're all different. But, you know, Lance is my brother. I love him. There you go. That's it. One time in the jail, um, we were going through 1 Corinthians 14, and so I was, doing what I always do, I was teaching uh, verse by verse, and of course, when you're in 1 Corinthians um, 14, it, it talks a lot about tongues, and Paul is laying out a lot of groundwork, because there was a lot of trouble in that church with tongues, and so I'm going through explaining and explaining what it is, uh, which means then that most everything, all those guys had seen in their lives in church was not the spiritual gift of tongues. And I was proving it to him. or showing it to him. And not a big deal. Um, you know, I was answering a ton of questions. And so when, when the lesson ended, you know, there was, there was no hoopla, no nothing. But it was a Friday. And the reason why that's significant is because on Saturday, there was a friend of mine that would come into the jail and he would teach. And my friend, he had a different view of tongues. Now, he didn't bring it up, but the inmates brought it up. And it was a particular inmate who I think was baiting him. And so what happened was is he, he said, uh, his name was James. He's, uh, the, the guy that was teaching him was James. And so this inmate started asking James about tongues. And so he went ahead and told him what he thought. And then this guy, the inmate, says, you know, Chopper Bob didn't think that. And James says, yeah, I know. But he's my brother and I love him. Now, I didn't know that it happened. So Monday comes, and I come, uh, you know, to the jail, and, and I get my group of men together that I teach every day. And we get together, we're going through the, through the Bible, and we have some time left over, and so, you know, I ask if there's any questions. And this guy raises his hand, and he said, Hey, Chaplain Bob, yeah? He said, I was talking to that uh, volunteer that comes in on Saturdays. His name is James. You know, he don't believe what you believe about tongues. And I, and I had no idea what was going on. I said, yeah, I said, I know. I said, man, he's a good brother. I love him, and he, and he loves the Lord. And then a bunch of the other inmates just started cracking up. And they go, oh, Chaplain Bob, you got him, you got him. He's trying to trip you up. And I go, what are you talking about? And so they told me the story. And so they're telling me the story. This guy's going, you know. And I look at him and I say, oh, you're trying to stir it up. So you're trying to come in between me and my brother. <laughs> I said, that's not a good thing. (laughs) All right. So the idea there is is that's that. So so even though James and I did not agree on the doctrine of tongues, we had the same mind and we actually spoke with the same voice. And so that's that's where we're at. That's what we are to do. And that reveals the power of Christ and what Christ is about. And that's why I've never been one who's always, I I don't get caught up that we don't agree on absolutely everything. We're not looking for that. You know, we're all going to be at different stages in our life and our growth anyway. All right? And so there will be things that that we don't agree on, and you may come around uh, to what I'm thinking. I hope that you do. Uh, But if you don't, I'm not going to be freaking out about it. Uh, The main thing is that we grow uh, in the application of the Word of God. Because normally when it comes to things we disagree on, it's not going to be the fundamentals of the faith. We're not disagreeing on the virgin birth. If we are, then we're praying for your salvation. right? Because that's, not, that's a non-negotiable, that's a foundational issue of what the Bible teaches. But there's some other things that, yeah, there's good people on, on other sides of the issue. And even though we may believe very strongly about those things, um, we have to have the wisdom to discern what is fundamental to the faith and what's not. Now, I'll be honest, the long i a Christian, what's fundamental to the faith, that list gets a little longer. <laughs> you know, there's a few more things like, eh, well, I think, uh, you know, because I had a guy ask me a question once, uh, and he said, and, and I thought it was actually a good question. He says, do you have to believe in the Trinity to be a Christian? So I've thought a lot about that. And so this is what I said said, if you're a brand new believer, you may not even hardly know anything about such a thing as a trinity. So technically, no, you don't. However, if you've been a believer for a little while, I have no idea what that means. I don't know if that means six months or whatever. The trinity is going to come up. So the thing is, is if you're a true believer, as those things come up, and you're shown this is what the Bible teaches, you're going to believe it. You may struggle with it. Say, "Man, I've, I've never heard such a thing," and whatever. But you're, but you're not going to be set against it to rebel. You're not going to say, "Well, I heard a series of sermons, and I don't buy that." You know, well, we got there's an issue somewhere because I believe that's, that is that's a fundamental of the faith. You've got to believe that Jesus is God. All right, the Trinity is a hard concept, but it is in the Bible. So, on one hand. No, you don't have to do that to be saved, because I can think of a scenario, a limited one, where you don't know enough yet. But basically, the answer is yes, you do. You have to believe that. If you don't believe that, you're denying what God has said. All right? So, when it comes to those things, we have to be firm. And we, you know, speaking with a united mind and united voice would mean that we would agree that, yeah, you've got to believe the Trinity. So, there's that list of things. But when it comes to other things, even though they may be really important, you know, like tongues and whatever. Um, so, for an example, and let, me, let me just kind of extrapolate a little more of that uh, to kind of help you, out, help you understand the differences that we can't have as, as believers. So, we'll pick another one all right, besides tongues. So, we'll talk about baptism. All right? So, a friend of mine, he's the pastor at Independent Presbyterians, Terry Johnson. They baptize babies. I'm in a Baptist church. We don't baptize babies. All right? So, here's the thing. I could never join Terry's church. Could never do it. Terry could never join this church. He would never be able to do it. I would have Terry preach here. Not a problem. Terry would have me preach there. Not a problem. Because we agree on the fundamentals of the faith. We agree on the gospel and all those things surrounding and touching the gospel. And I know for a fact if I invited him to preach here, I already, without saying, I would have never, seen, he would not come in and say, well, I'm going to do a series on baptism. <laughs> he wouldn't, he's just, he's not going to do that. And if he invites me to IPC, I would never say, well, I'm going to set them straight on what baptism is all about. I'm not going to do that. Right? There's an enormous number of things in the Bible that I can expound on without doing that, because that would be unwise and wrong to do that. So, we could never join each other's churches, but we could preach at each other's churches. right? Because we have the same mind, the same voice, but we're not the same. We're not clones. Uh, um, I've, yeah, besides, I, I weigh more than he does, so we're not clones. I think we might be the same height. It's hard to tell. He's thinner than I am, so he looks, he looks taller. What was that? I so said he's a big guy. Are you sure about that? Terry Johnson? He's not a big guy. He's, he's tall. He's not that he's big down. around. Yeah, he might... He might be the same height as me. He, he, he might be a little taller, and he looks that way because he's thin. I'm not thin, but we don't have time talk about You, you, you eat at Ferguson. <laughs> yeah, well, I eat too often at Popeye's. All right. So, verse 7 of chapter 15. Paul says again, Therefore, accept one another, just as the Messiah also accepted you to the glory of God. So, it, he's, he's just finding different ways to say the same thing. A lot of times in Romans, that's what Paul does. Um, it used to be a common thing in the 1800s, and even in the early 1900s, it was a common thing um, that law students, um, especially individuals who were, who were uh, trained to become uh, 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 trial lawyers, they would have to read Romans. And the reason why is because... The way Paul presents an argument is he's, he comes at, at, a, at, a, at dealing with an issue from this angle and makes his point. Then he backs up, and then he comes from this angle and makes his point. And then he backs up, and then he comes from this angle and attacks it that way. So he's making this argument in all these different ways to prove his point. So here he's saying the same thing, but he's doing it again. Right? He says each time he's saying it a little differently. But he's making the same point. So here, what he's telling us is, is he says, therefore, accept one another, just as the Messiah, or just as Jesus has accepted you to the glory of God. So that kind of sets the standard for us. So I have an obligation as a Christian to accept you in the same way that Christ accepts you, which means I have no excuse and nowhere to go To not accept another individual who's a believer. There's nowhere to go. I mean, and of course, you're obligated as well to accept me in the same way. And so that's why, as Christians, Christians just, they cannot have, you can't hold a grudge against another believer. We might be hurt by them, we might be betrayed by them, but you can't hold a grudge against them. At, you know, Romans, we've already seen this in Romans. Um, as much as possible, it depends upon you, be at peace with all men. So if I'm not at peace with another Christian, it has to be all their fault. Not that I'm looking for blame. What it means is I've done everything I can for there to be peace. And if there's not peace, I'm going to continue to live as if there as if there is peace. And if there's a, if the division remains, it's, it's on them, because I've done everything. Most of the time, when there's a problem between believers, neither one of us have everything they can. Sometimes, you one person may have done everything. And, and that does happen. But that means you don't talk bad about them. You just, I mean, you just, you don't do it. You go on. Um, and you just, you absorb, uh, is the best way to put it. You absorb what, whatever they've done to you. You, you just, you take it. I uh, remember in 1 Corinthians, I think it's in chapter 6. Paul is talking to the believers there, and there was a problem where believers were having difficulties with each other, and some of them were taking each other to court. Uh, and Paul doesn't get into whether or not the ones taking other believers to court were in the right or in the wrong. He just asks a question. Why would you just rather not be wronged? He, and I think he asks the question in such a way he's surprised. So it'd be like, so let's say Nick here, let's say Nick borrows some of my tools which would be a real trip because I don't hardly have anything. But let's say he, let's say he borrows some of my tools and he, and he doesn't give them back, and I keep asking to give them back, and finally say, you know what, <clears throat> I, I, we got to go to court. I, I want my, I want my stuff back. All right? He's, he's wronged me. He's clearly in the wrong. I want my stuff back. All right? But he's a brother in Christ. So Paul says to me, Bob, what are you doing, taking him to court? How how can we just don't? How can we just don't take it? All right, so he didn't, he didn't bring your tools back, right? Yeah, he's wrong. Just go on about your business. That, that's what he's saying. Man, that's hard. All right, Now, I'm not saying that what he did was right by doing that. I'm not even saying it's okay. I'm ba- I have to forgive him and move forward. Who knows why he didn't return? Just, just, I need to go. And that can be hard. Okay, it's really hard when you know for a fact that person is wrong. And you know for a fact, you're the victim. But Paul was getting on them because they were taking these problems as Christians and they're going to a court where the judge wasn't a believer and the judge knew that this was a, what community these people came from. And now they're going before this um, godless man to settle their problem. And Paul says that's a bad testimony on Christ. It's a bad one. Uh, and, this is, and I do think in some, some churches, maybe in a lot of churches where they've they've kind of messed up, where there's a squabble between people and the church should kind of step in or be asked to step in, and they don't. I got a call once from a guy, and uh, he, I think he had some repairs done on his house by a contractor. The contractor, they they both went to the same church. I don't know why the guy was calling me, but he called me up, And at least part of the reason why he called, I guess he was looking for advice. He says, man, this guy, he won't, he's messed up and he won't fix it. You know, and it's costing me X number of dollars, you know, and it's going to cost me more to get someone else to come in and fix what he's messed up. And uh, I I think the reason, the main reason he was calling me, and I don't know, I don't know why he was calling me that his pastor. Maybe he didn't want the pastor to know that there was this going on between them. But he said, he said, can I sue him? I said no. I said you're not even telling me that you doubt he's a believer. You're telling me he's a member, member of the church you go to, that he's a believer, and for whatever reason, you guys have this, this disagreement, and you're not coming to a settlement. I said there's an. I said basically, I'd be honest. I said your pastor has an obligation, the church has an obligation to work this out, and you guys have an obligation to live by whatever the church decides, whether whether it's the pastor, church leadership, however they handle that. And I know it can be uncomfortable, but you guys have a responsibility to accept what the church says. Because normally what's going to happen is is people going to take sides, someone's gonna get their feelings hurt, someone leaves. That's a bad testimony. So that's why I told them, I said, you both have to agree that whatever the church decides, you're going to live with it. You have to do that. And see, and in our country, a lot of people, they won't do that. They're not going there. And it's hard. Um, we got to put aside, because the, what if the church decides, you know, no one's infallible. So what if the church still doesn't get it right? They don't get it perfectly right. What are you going to do then? You know what? Everything we do is to be a testimony to the community. Now we can get into well, whoever's the most mature believer should be doing this, and I know all that, but you can't make people do things. And so, and I told this guy, I said it may be, that in the end, it may cost you a few thousand more dollars. I'm not telling you that's nothing because I think that's a big deal. But if you live your life to honor the Lord and you get shortchanged, you just ask the Lord to help you get through it. Whether the Lord bails you out and you get money from some source that you didn't know about or it's something else. But you depend upon it. the Lord take care of it. And don't allow bitterness to grow up in your heart. Because that's what Satan wants to do. You know, he, wants, he, he may want one of you to leave. Cause dissension of the church. And it's, it's hard. And I'll be honest. I think... <laughs> It's just from my experience, from what I've heard, from what I've read. In most cases, it doesn't go well. Someone's going to leave the church. Sometimes the worst is they leave the church and don't go to any church. That's even worse. But that's what happens. And so there's an opportunity, if we think about it, there's an opportunity there for us to, maybe down the road, let the world see how we, how we can handle things. And there's no testimony. No one's ever going to hear that story because it, it wasn't handled right. Uh, because we're all about pursuing our own selves. And, uh, and just so you know, we can all sit here when we're not involved emotionally and shake our heads. Oh, yeah, that's right. Wait till it happens to you. Man, it is, that is hard. It really is. It's very, very difficult. Um, and, uh, but I think there's an expectation from the Lord there that we get to that point. And uh, when there's been betrayal, and maybe untruth said, and money involved, whoo! <laughs> that is, uh, no one's laughing like I just did. <laughs> it's, it's hard. Um, but we, but if we, I think if we have that mindset going in, uh, I think, A, that will prevent a lot of those things from happening, but it also will go a long ways in getting some of that stuff resolved um, in a way that glorifies the Lord. So Paul was serious. About our testimony to the to the world uh, as individuals and as a church, um, because the, the the world needs to see that they really do. Anyway, let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your kindness and your grace and your love. And Father, we know that there there for some of us there may be some really hard situations ahead, situations ahead that um, that we just we don't see coming. That might involve these kinds of things. But Father, no matter where we are on that spectrum, we ask more that you would help us to again to seek to grow as believers that father we would truly have the attitude that we are to have that we that we want to live our lives where we pursue peace even at a maybe even at a personal cost to ourselves that father that we would be concerned about others spiritual growth even if it comes at a cost for us to realize Lord that The most important thing is that you are pleased and that you are honored and that you are glorified by how we live and by how we respond. So, Father, I pray that you would cause us to think about these things and to ponder them, to meditate on them. Again, we pray that your spirit would cause these things to sink deep into our hearts so that they become a part of our lives in the way that we think. We ask, Lord, that you would keep us safe as we're dismissed from our time together. As always, Father, we do thank you. We do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.